and we're live. We are live. Hi, everybody, near and far. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on uh, this Monday as we um, inaugurate our, <laughs> our live stream capabilities here at the Electronic Intifada. Um, Asa, take it away. Hi. Um, yes. Sorry, technical difficulties. Well, this is our uh, first ever live stream, actually. So this is going to be a bit of an experiment for the Electronic Intifada. So bear with us. We'll see how it goes. Um, obviously, you know, this is, well, this is a new world we're in. This is an unprecedented era. And we thought it was a good time to go live so we're going to be trying to reach people from gaza later on in the stream um and we're joined uh, here to kick things off with our executive director ali abu Nyama, and with a friend of the show john elmer who's going to be giving some of his expert analysis as always um but um Ali, do you want to kick things off for us with your assessment of the situation as you can see it in Palestine right now? Yes, and first let me say to everyone, welcome to the very first Electronic Intifada live stream. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, John, for giving us your time. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about the military situation. Some of your observations that I've been reading have been really insightful and stunning and i know that we're going to be trying to get some of our friends from gaza live so i hope people will really stick around and thanks to the ei podcast team you always do a brilliant job but bringing us on live uh, for the first time uh it this is uh, really great so I mean, we're all watching, I think, history unfold and uh, starting backwards from what the horrifying events unfolding today in Gaza, where we see Israel really going wild, not even pretending that there are any military objectives to what they're doing. They are massacring entire, entire families in their homes. There have been today, uh, there was today the bombing of a marketplace in Jabalia, killing more than 50 people. They have bombed civilian neighborhoods all over Gaza. They have bombed mosques. And the point is to kill people in revenge for Israel's humiliation and defeat at the hands of the Palestinian resistance. Uh, what we have seen unfold in the last few days is something I think we thought could happen theoretically at some point in the future, but I don't think any, any of us thought it would unfold in real time in the way it has. What has been utterly destroyed is the myth of the Israeli army, the invincible Israeli army, the courageous and skilled Israeli soldier, and the uh, all-knowing Israeli intelligence net, uh, apparatus. What we saw revealed was a paper army that dissolved. The entire Gaza division melted away. I read in the Israeli press uh, over the past 48 hours about how for five hours, the Israeli army didn't even know 
what was going on. They didn't know that hundreds, if not thousands, of very highly trained Palestinian resistance fighters had crossed in out of Gaza into the 1948 occupied territories by land, sea, and air. And the videos that have been coming from the Qassam brigades are just stunning of, of resistance fighters taking over entire military bases, capturing soldiers in their underwear, killing soldiers. Uh, it seems that you, if you hadn't seen them, you wouldn't believe them. Uh, and the scale of the catastrophe for Israel to its image, to its self-confidence, to the confidence of the settler colonists that their army and their state can protect them, I don't think it's sunk in the scale of the disaster. I think this is, this is bigger than Israel's uh, shock in October 1973. It's bigger than its defeat at the hands of the Hezbollah resistance in um, July and August of 2006. And the profound results of it have uh, yet to unfold. Of course, what we're seeing now in terms of Israel's reaction is sadly pretty much what you'd expect, as I mentioned, going wild on the civilians because they can't fight. Because when Israeli soldiers are put face to face, hand to hand with the committed resistance fighters, they uh, are unable to fight. They surrender or they're killed. Now, what we've seen in terms of the announcement this morning from uh, Yoav Gallant, the Israeli defense minister, is really a, a declaration of a genocidal war against Palestinians in Gaza. Gallant announced a total siege on Gaza, cutting off food, water, electricity, uh, any form of supplies to 2 million plus civilians living in what is basically a giant refugee camp or open air prison. Half of them are children. These are war crimes and crimes against humanity of the highest order. He said, we are fighting against human animals and we must act accordingly. It's not hyperbole to, hyperbole to say this is Nazi language. This is the language of Hitler. This is exterminationist language. This is the language uh, that a Nazi-style regime uses against its victims in a concentration camp. And this is what Palestinians have every right to resist and fight against and have been doing so for years. It's, this is not the first time around. And what I, I want to say in terms of just kind of wrapping up the, these introductory comments is the reaction from the so-called West, the United States, the uh, British, the Europeans, what uh, Joseph Mess had in a brilliant article that we published uh, at the Electronic Intifada uh, last night, accurately called the international enemies of the Palestinian people. Normally, they will pay lip service to, you know, they'll say Israel has a right to defend itself, but uh, civilians should be protected. They're not saying that now. They are giving Israel uh, 100 green lights to commit these massacres. 
The question is why? Why have they dropped even the mere pretense and the mere lip service to human rights? It is because they understand that this settler colony in Palestine is not permanent. What they saw in the last few days shakes their confidence that it can and will continue to exist. And that's why they are telling the Israelis, you can do what you want. You can go wild on the Palestinians and we will back you. But there is no military solution to Israel's to, to the reality that Israel is a settler colony of a minority population, a minority population, the Jews are the minority in historic Palestine, ruling over an indigenous people that is a volcano erupting in uh, its struggle for liberation. Israel can't bomb its way out of that situation. And whatever horror it commits in Gaza, at the end of the day, it's still going to be an, illegit an illegitimate settler colony and the Palestinians are still going to be fighting for their liberation. That's what I see. That's what I uh, feel coming from our uh, friends and comrades in Gaza and across Palestine who we'll hear from later. But that's kind of the picture I see now. Thank you so much, Ali. Um, and uh, I want to bring in Rifat Alarir. He is a contributor to the Electronic Intifada. He's in Gaza uh, right now. Um, Rifat, thank you so much um, for finding, you know, one bar of cell service uh, and, you know, a, a little bit of battery to join us. Can you please um, update us on, on what the current situation is right now in Gaza? Uh, thank you, Nora. Ali, John, and Asa. Uh, unspeakable uh, brutalities. What we're seeing is, is unbelievable. It's unbearable for us mm -hmm. watching it from the safety of where we are, and it's impossible to There's imagine. Every couple of minutes, uh, whole buildings are being uh, destroyed. Uh, the roads to Al Shifa Hospital. I just tweeted that almost all the roads to Al Shifa Hospital were destroyed. Uh, so many families, no matter how many tweets you see or how many live streams you watch, the reality on the ground is a lot, a lot more terrible than it is on social media and, and Twitter. And if, if not sure, this is the, the whole room is filled with gunpowder cement or galloping cement my hair is uh, filled with dust and cement and the little kids behind me are uh, terrified uh, uh, in fear the little ones and we can see the pictures that follow quickly uh, whole buildings residential buildings businesses uh, palestinian infrastructure schools hospitals ambulances uh, medical centers You, you don't you don't know whether this is this is it, it, it's, it uh, we will not we will not uh, we don't deserve this we're not animal like the Israelis think uh, our kids uh, deserve better Israel knows that uh, uh, 
if they want to punish the kids, the civilians, like Ali suggested. And I have always said this, even before, uh, even from the 90s, when young Palestinians, Ali said, praise those valiant fighters. They are to be praised. But if you know them in real life, when you see the pictures of those fighters, they're very simple people. They're lightly uh, uh, armed, modestly uh, uh, trained, but they have a, a weapon that Israel does not have, the weapon of uh, the belief, the faith that this is your land, that you're right, fighting a brutal a European uh, colonial enterprise that is being uh, brutalizing Palestinians for over uh, seven, uh, seven decades. The Palestinians are fighting with those people, even from the 90s and uh, uh, later on in the Second Intifada. They always, always came victorious when they came face to face with the Israelis. Always cost them loss in so, so many operations. And look at what happened. It's a miracle. It's actually, a hundred million miracles that took place. But it's all well planned, meticulously planned by people who have almost nothing except their faith. And those people believe that they're not only fighting for Palestine, they're fighting for the Ummah, they're fighting for a cause that is just, a cause that is, uh, if that should, should not and cannot be forsaken. We believe that if we give up, then everybody is going to say, look at the Palestinians, they give up. Why don't you behave like the Palestinians? Why don't you uh, uh, bow down? And Israel knows this. And Israel is punishing not. By the way, the Palestinian fighters, they are inside. They are inside occupied land. And, and many of those people from Shuja'iyah, from Jabalia, from uh, Khan Yunis and Rafah and everywhere, they have their parents and grandparents who have land behind the, 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 the armistice line. My grandmother used to, to point over there saying that uh, when Palestine is free, you will be, you will be rich because we have a lot of land that we can use to farm, to sell, but it's it's not ours because of the Israeli brutal uh, occupation. What I'm saying here briefly is that it's extremely horrible. Uh, the infrastructure it's unprecedented. I'm not exaggerating again. If I'm if I, if I'm saying that this is the blitz again all over, like what happened in London by by the Nazis, uh, unfortunately by uh, uh, the, the Israeli Zionists who claim to be the descendants of uh, uh, the, the victims of, of the Holocaust are inflicting yet a similar plight, similar catastrophes against uh, the Palestinians. Uh, we know that it's very bleak, it's very dark. Uh, there's no way out. Uh, if, if there's no water, there is no uh, way out of Gaza. What, what should we do, like drown? like commit mass suicide is this what israel wants and we're not going to do that and i was telling some somebody some friend the other day that i am an academic i probably the toughest thing i have at, at home is an expo marker but if the israelis invade if the target has charged at us open door to door to massacre us i'm going to use that marker throw it at the israeli soldiers even if that is the last thing that I would be able to do. And this is the feeling of everybody. We are helpless. We have nothing to lose. Rifat, you're an academic and you are a teacher and you have uh, uh, 
inspired and taught and mentored many of the writers who contribute to the electronic intifada. Um, are you in touch with some of your students and colleagues? Are you able to stay in touch with people around you and to? And I, I just ventured out to, to the uh, pharmacy to bring some medicine. Otherwise, my my car was almost bombed five times. Just, just driving for five minutes to the pharmacy to bring medicine uh, to the little ones, uh, painkillers and stuff. Uh, and can can only imagine how horrible it is. I, I, I took some videos and these are, if you're counting, it's like every couple of minutes. These are just the ones around where I live in the Gaza city in Tal Hawa. And you can multiply this by a hundred times all across the Gaza Strip in Rafah. And I, uh, it, it's not easy to call people. I, uh, it's not easy to contact people, especially family members in Shujaia, most of whom had to leave their, their homes. Uh, uh, Israel has just uh, destroyed the uh, Palestinian telecommunications company uh, with no internet, uh, no uh, no electricity. There will be barely any internet or access or signal to call people. Sometimes I was just calling my daughter and it took me like five tries just to, uh, to, to get her to answer me. Uh, I am in touch with uh, with the people, uh, with some of my, 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 my friends, my students. I, I try, but I'm helpless. Like my students, I'm teaching English poetry uh, this term. I was teaching them uh, your poem, Ali. Uh, and they always love it. And uh, and I always tell them that po how poetry can be your, uh, your weapon. It's your strongest uh, weapon. It's what you you need to do to, to carry to to do this. But I, I'm, I'm lying to them. I think I'm lying to them. If I'm, if I'm telling them that this is uh, your strongest weapon and Israel is pouring tons and, and tons of, of, of dynamite of US-made uh, missiles up on our heads. I, I posted, I, I keep posting uh, messages, trying to reassure them, sending prayers to the, my students and my, their families and, and loved ones, knowing pretty well that many of them will not uh, be back and some of their family members, their homes. And I just, I'm getting a tweet just now and messages that the Islamic University was targeted. I'm praying that this is not true. If, uh, if that's true, that's like uh, um, almost 1,500 people without jobs and uh, 20,000 uh, students without uh, classes, without benches, without uh, a university uh, degree. So Israel, it's, it's an open, uh, and, uh, it's a, a war against everything. There is nothing that Israel did not uh, hit. And there's just one message. It's a message of hate, of death and destruction. That's it. There's no message because, and I, I don't like to, 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 to say this because I don't want to be using the Israeli captives as a way to, to dissuade the Israelis, so to speak, from bombing. But these bombs will definitely harm and hurt the Israeli civilians, so to speak, and soldiers captured in uh, in in Gaza uh, in Gaza Strip in the Gaza Strip. 
but maybe Israel is bombing this hard to, so that they can kill those people, those Israelis, before they kill the Palestinians, so they don't have to free the Palestinian political uh, prisoners. But they are, we are dealing with people that are extremely horrible, like they are literally inciting genocide and taking words from the Nazi language and Nazi discourse. What else do you expect? I mean, the least you could expect there was this, I think, uh, was it the Jewish uh, uh, Congress uh, that tweeted something about the Holocaust, that the number of, uh, of, of Jews killed by the attacks from Gaza uh, exceed any number, any day uh, of Jews killed during the Holocaust. And this is categorically, mathematically, statistically, it's wrong. Uh, and it's a minimization, trivialization of the Holocaust. But look to what extent they are willing to go. This is Holocaust denial, not only revisionism. Because statistically, it's not even close. But they are willing to exonerate Hitler and the Nazis in order to demonize the Palestinians and uh, uh, justify ju justify the the upcoming genocide. It's going to be ethnic cleansing. We don't know in a week we're going to be in the sea, buried under the rubble, uh, or buried in graveyards if there is space, or in Sinai pushed out uh, to die in the desert. Rifat, we've. Um you know, over the many years of of these types of assaults on Gaza, um, you've you've regularly talked about how you discuss this with your children, with your young kids. Um, wh how what are those conversations like right now? As you know, it's evening, getting they're getting ready for bed, um, and you know we all hear what's going on outside. <clears throat> We're trying to huddle in the uh, place, in the narrowest possible place that is least likely uh, to to be hit. That's that was like in the past. Uh, and again, we don't talk a lot. Or, uh, sadly, I, I know that in the past I would spend time uh, telling stories, but with the systematic attacks against Palestinians, sleeping Palestinians in their homes, and the extermination of uh, more than 20 families so far, at least this was, I read this number 10 hours ago, maybe it's now double you know, the number. We talk less, uh, the kids don't have, we, we, like, we eat less, we drink less, everything is less because, uh, because of the, again, what Israel is putting us uh, into the situation. I try to uh, hug them, um, but again, it's, yeah, and it's it's very conflicting, very difficult. You don't want to hug them so they don't feel that this is this could be the last one. And you want to hug them so at least there is a hug at there and you want you know to pat on there. It is very, very difficult being a father here. Even the you know the the expressions of intimacy and love are very difficult because they could be interpreted in, in too many different ways. Uh, and the kids know, they feel uh, all the lies. We tell them that it's going to be okay, that the bombing is far away, that they're not, they're not working. Uh, now, even the first day, the first 24 hours, there were screams and shrieks all over the area every time there's a bomb. But now 
everybody is calm. We, we the, this is in the intern. This is the worst kind of trauma, the internal kind of fear and terror that the kids have to go to go through. I took a picture uh, yesterday of uh, my little Amal um, um, here opening her uh, little uh, notebook and reading her her lessons. Interestingly, Amal um, developed the habit of not liking school, not wanting to do her homework recently, but all of a sudden. Uh, change change happens happens yeah and yeah uh, she was reading stories for uh, my, my wife Nusaiba tells me that she's an excellent reader she's second grader but you will she reads well from uh, from books hopefully she grows uh, despite Israeli uh, death and destruction and genocide and become an amazing storyteller mm -hmm. Uh, Rifat, we've heard these genocidal threats from Israeli ministers to cut Gaza off completely from water, electricity, um, and everything else. What are the current conditions like in Gaza in terms of um, electricity holding up and mm -hmm. things like that? Yeah. Uh, since uh, Saturday, we had around three, four hours of electricity. Some places where uh, uh, Israel hits very hard, they lose uh, uh, any access to electricity. And if there is no electricity, there's no water because we have to use a water, a water pump to uh, bring the water because it becomes like naturally we have water every couple of days, sometimes more, sometimes once a week, twice a week. And then we fill the tanks. Uh, we fill the tanks, you know, until the next time. So no electricity. It means there's no water. Uh, but uh, where I I live, we have uh, a, a, a generator that could uh, generate uh, uh, like up to three to five hours every day. But we're using it as backup uh, mainly now. The, the, the instructions from the management of the, the building is uh, uh, conserve everything. Uh, uh, drink less, eat less, don't use water, don't take showers unless it's extremely uh, uh, necessary. And yeah, this is if not sure if this is only a slow uh, gen genocide. Israel is doing these are not empty threats. This is an, an Israeli prime minister. And they know this is going to cause uproar. But yes, the, 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 the international community is complicit. They no longer care, not even paying lip service to, uh, uh, to, to us. It's going to cause uh, a, a tiny little embarrassment to, to Israel because, again, also using this threat and likening Palestinians to, animal, to animals, uh, to treat us like animals. It's what's going on in the ground. Many areas don't have water or electricity. Those who have are extremely lucky and they barely can. I'm not sure how many, uh, 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 how long this can uh, be the, the same. And clearly it's not going to, 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 to stay the same. It's, it's excellent, uh, uh, aggravating, it's worsening on all levels. Even the intensity of the bombings, uh, they, don't, they don't stop. Uh, 2021, it would only mostly be the days, but now it's around the, the, the clock. In, in this talk, probably less than 30 minutes, I, we have had 
uh, the bombs around like 20, 30 times. And this is only in Gaza, in the city. Rifat, Rifat. One, one, one of the uh, things that uh, Israel and its supporters always say is that uh, they're not at war with the Palestinian people in Gaza, they're at war with Hamas, and the Palestinian people in Gaza are suffering because of Hamas and the resistance groups, and that one of their goals through these repeated massacres and uh, bombing campaigns that we've seen now with accelerating frequency, 2008, 2012, 2014, uh, and then accelerating now multiple times a year. The goal is to, uh, in their mind, to force the, uh, to turn the Palestinian people against the resistance groups by making them suffer so that people in Gaza will say, to Hamas leadership, you did this to us, you brought these massacres upon us. From your perspective and from the perspective of people around you, is that Israeli strategy like to, likely to work? Are people in Gaza going to uh, blame the resistance for the horrifying situation that, that uh, people are in? Um. There are two points here. Uh, Hamas is 30 years old, I think. And this started well before Hamas, decades before Hamas. Uh, not only in uh, the years leading to the Nakba, the disaster, 1948, but even when the British mandate uh, in enabled and empowered and opened the doors for the the, uh, the the Jewish Zionists to immigrate to Palestine, empowered them, gave them weapons, uh, weakened the Palestinians, uh, destroyed the Palestinian uh, resistance, so to speak. So it's it's a lie, it's a fabrication that this is only because of uh, of Hamas. Hamas and other uh, Palestinian uh, 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 factions and groups uh, uh, are uh, a reaction to the Israeli occupation and and brutality, uh, the the, uh, the the framing that uh, Hamas is bringing harm is also insulting to Palestinians because it negates decades of Israeli terror. And I always uh, say that even look at the West Bank, look at the Palestinians in the 1948 areas. There, uh, there is racism against them and apartheid. Uh, look at the people in Jenin and Hebron and Nablus and uh, Al Aqsa Al Quds. Uh, Jerusalem, they're being brutalized every day. The settlements are expanding, and Hamas barely uh, functions in, in 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 the West Bank. So this is completely and utterly untrue. Israel is uh, is using Hamas as a lie to try to deflect some of uh, try to deflect some of uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 blame or all all the blame that if if Hamas stops, if Hamas is is not in Gaza. We're not going to be, to be doing this, and it's a lie. The second thing, uh, uh, Palestinians have learned a hard lesson that Israel is going to kill them no matter what. Uh, in nineteen in two thousand and fourteen, when Israel wanted to eradicate Hamas, they killed people from the Islamic Jihad and from Fatah, and they killed five hundred fifty-one uh, Palestinian Palestinian kids and 
like 200 women and 150 elderly people or so. Uh, so Israel does not differentiate. Israel kills all. The same thing happened again and again later uh, in, in later Israeli attacks. And so many Palestinians realize that if Israel starts a war, it's going to kill anybody. And this is one. Uh, uh, the second thing is that if you've seen the videos of people storming, it started by Hamas. The whole attack was planned, executed, started by Hamas. And in every Palestinian faction, even uh, uh, poorly armed factions with a couple of clashing corps, uh, participated in, uh, in, in, in the attacks against the Israeli military, uh, military posts. Uh, 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 what uh, these uh, issues about uh, uh, putting you know, framing this as it is uh, because of Hamas, uh, uh, the framing is, is completely uh, unacceptable. It's, it's wrong. And the Palestinians uh, find themselves cornered after being rejected every means of resistance, BDS, anti-Semitism, Great Return March, uh, vi violence and snipers are sent. Uh, by the way, there was a report that the very snipers who uh, killed and injured uh, uh, Palestinians, like hundreds and thousands of them, were uh, are either uh, captured or killed in, in, in the attacks. Uh, uh, so the Palestinians find themselves in a corner where they can either submit, kneel, and even that is not going to be allowed in, in dignity. You've seen the pictures, I think, of Israel capturing some of the Palestinian uh, uh, Palestinians, and mostly they are not uh, fighters because they could have shown us the weapons. There were no weapons. So many Palestinian civilians uh, entered there because they wanted to see Palestine, their, their villages and their towns, and those people were arrested and they were humiliated. So even if Palestinians choose to, to submit, to surrender, Israel is going to humiliate them. So for that and for our belief in our right to defend ourselves and the dignity of, of the, 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 the free world, all Palestinians are in this uh, uh, together. Rifat, um, thank you so much. We, we want to uh, let you go so that you can conserve um, your, you know, your energy and, uh, and, and be with your family. Um, so, uh, but we will have, um, have you back on. Of course, we will have updates. We will keep in, in contact. Um, yeah. And uh, thank you. The, you know, it's, it's you. rare that we're left speechless, but um, we're with you. Yeah. We're with you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Um, so, uh, John, we want to bring you on. Uh, we also have Abdel Jawad Omar, um, uh, and and we also uh, have Shahid Abu Salama, who has family in Gaza, um, waiting in the wings. Um, John, briefly before we bring on Abdel Jawad, uh, what's your reaction? Um, to, you know, to what we just heard from Rifat and um, and what have you been watching the last few days? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note that we don't know the level of the humiliation of the Israeli army at this point. Israel uh, operates a military censor on information, on critical information, and even non-critical information. And the level of that censor is very, very significant. So the amount of information that we have is just a very small amount of what's going on. Uh, but we know that now, um, near the end of the third day, that they still haven't um, that there's still Palestinian guerrillas fighting inside Israel, that those guerrillas are apparently being resupplied and the fighters are being refreshed. They have tunnel access um, in and out. The Israelis have been, as Ali said at the beginning, have been chased off their bases, the key bases around the Gaza Strip, um, <clears throat> including the base with the Gaza Command, um, were emptied. The Palestinian guerrillas were driving around in Israeli vehicles. Um, they had total control of those bases. Um, we don't hear until the military spokespeople are pressed by journalists in their morning briefings um, just what's going on. Are there still people fighting? And they let out little pieces of information that, that we know that there's um, fighting in at least seven or eight different places. Um, we have witness testimonies that we've heard on the BBC from the, um, from the situation at the rave where um, partiers at that rave were there for four hours and they said that there was multiple resupplies by the Palestinians in that period and no Israeli response to come and help them. Um, the Israelis abandoned their people in the south um, and even their soldiers, um, there was reports of their soldiers being um, basically like they always do, but in a state of emergency hitchhiking to their spots because they have no way to get their people there. Um, so um, that's an important thing. Just the military censor is keeping tabs on um, some of the most humiliating aspects. Um, and I think just in general, it's um, it's a remarkable action instead of um, of having the fighting um, take place on Israeli terms, um, Palestinians, this fight's happening on their terms. The number of captives that the Palestinians have, which I think um, should be at the forefront of what's happening here is, um, is a historic amount, the possibility to empty Palestinian jails um, in a prisoner exchange um, is, um, is, is significant, it's incredibly significant. They have high ranking officers. Again, the military censor won't tell us how many, who's there, um, but we know that they're significant. We know they ran overran those army bases. So there's at least the commanders of each of those bases in custody um, or dead. Um, and so I think there is a lot more news to come out about the depth uh, of the victory, of the defeat of the Israeli, uh, forces. Israeli forces. And I yeah, think, and you I know, think we're, yeah. we're told about the, the, the intelligence community, right? This is Israel supposed to be, um, you know, the startup nation with, uh, you know, underpinned by its tech. Um, you know, where was Unit 8200 that we've heard so much about? Where was the signals intelligence? Where was the human intelligence? How did it take them five hours to even know what was going on uh, when they tell the world that they're the state of the art uh, military intelligence? The depth of the humiliation is, um, like I said, we're barely 
getting to the t you know, barely getting uh, to the surface of of what is happening here. And mm -hmm. is it is it not the case, John, that uh, the uh, Qassam brigades, the military wing of Hamas, said that they actually overran uh, one of the Unit eighty two hundred bases? And it's also my understanding, at least it's been report some of the reports I've read that when the Qassam fighters overran the uh, Erez crossing, they took uh, computers and hard drives, which provide them with uh, lists of um, collaborators, potentially another information that would be of uh, strategic importance. So the failure is, is potentially on so many levels that uh, uh, even the Israelis, let alone we, don't yet fully understand and comprehend. And the fact that it's carried on for these days, because we're sort of used to a spectacular attack and then it's over, but each day Israel has to come to the mic and say, actually, nothing's changed. We're still fighting the same war mm -hmm. that we were fighting four days ago. Uh, and, and they can't speak to any concrete results. And when you hear from their people... I mean, we even heard from the kibbutz, the people in the kibbutz, that the Palestinian fighters were going floor to floor and telling people to go into their bomb shelters, into their individual shelters to stay away from what was happening um, in those circumstances um, more than more than their army was, that their mm -hmm. army left them abandoned in those situations. I mean, there's so many things looking forward. It's it's hard to imagine people going back to those communities, how that is going to look in the future. Um, and even there's, we're just at the beginning of this because the amount of, um, uh, of this story that is the freeing of the prisoners, um, the historic freeing of prisoners um, that's coming, if people remember the exchange for one tank gunner um, back in 2006, that in 2011, that prisoner exchange was more than a thousand Palestinians for one tank gunner. Um, at this point, we're talking about dozens of captives, possibly hundreds of captives. Abdel Jawad, uh, from your view in the occupied West Bank, uh, what do you make of that? Um, I mean, I think I don't want to echo too much what uh, John was saying. Um, I mean, there was a, a massive failure and the massive failure is deep, it's long, because I don't think this is an operation that was conceived in the moment, it was planned out uh, for months, diversion tactics and a lot of trickery going into it to reach this point where uh, Palestinian resistance decided to take things in their own hands and declare war and also uh, invade Israel. Um, so there's the intelligence fair that John says, and then there's also breaching the wall. This is an underground wall. Um, it's a highly electronized wall. Uh, it's supposed to monitor every movement near the fence across the whole of the Gaza Strip. Um, somehow Israel was blinded. We don't know how. Uh, it was totally blinded. It did not even see um, these fighters coming in. Um, all uh, warning systems failed, um, including intelligence, which should preconceive of this attack, but also in the moment, like in moment zero, they couldn't do anything about it. 
and they were caught red-handed and um, uh, with total surprise. So, in fact, the Palestinians was able to destroy the entire line of defense that um, surrounds the Gaza Strip and its uh, military, um, let's say, uh, backbone. So that's why we saw that the Israeli military took a long time for it to respond because it lost its command and control centers in this area. It lost all information. It couldn't really act or react um, to what was happening. And this is a moment of off balance for the Israelis. It's a moment where they're very highly insecure in a precarious position. And they're taking decisions under a lot of stress and duress to, to try to retain some of their uh, lost glory. And, and therefore, it's a scary moment as well because um, they are probably prone to make a lot of mistakes in their calculation as they move on. So as they move on and try um, to create havoc in the Gaza Strip, the terror we saw, um, the bombs that we were hearing as Rifat was speaking, um, preparing the ground for a ground assault, it's easy to start a war. It's not easy to end it. It's easy to enter the Gaza Strip and try to show bravado. But at the same time, that, that might come costly on Israel and Gaza the Strip at the same time. So... There's a lot of things happening, and as John says, the the, the fighting within uh, 1948 territories has not ended. Uh, but I think one of the worries, at least for me speaking, is to what extent Israel's leadership now is mas- miscalculating its steps and moves and uh, pushing not only Gaza, but the entire region for uh, uh, a war um, that could change the face of the Middle East. I mean, we're at this point at least. And how are people in the West Bank uh, reacting to, you know, the, the prison break in, in Gaza on October 7th? And, um, and you know, and, and of course, the bombing campaign that Israel is relentlessly um, engaging in now. I mean, it, there's a lot of awe. There's a lot of um, um, excitement, hope. Uh, generated by what happened in the past couple of days in the West Bank, but also a lot of helplessness and also a lot of uh, feelings of, you know, um, horror and terror surrounding people because it's one of these moments where the future seems hanging and you don't know where it's going. Um, And still, I think the past three days have not been... um, um, still, you know, embedded too much in our consciousness yet. I mean, I think we had this moment where we couldn't believe what was happening. And I think people are still making it you know, out of this condition of that what happened actually really happened. And as John was saying, we even what happened is still engulfed with a lot of, let's say, uh, misinformation, um, the slow uh, spread of news of the killings, what really happened and transpired is still not totally uh, clear for most people in the West Bank. But there's a lot of anticipation, and I think it's creating this moment in where there's a shift in consciousness that Israel is not what Israel was in terms of its fighting prowess in terms of its regular army, if it's in terms of its will to fight. Uh, we saw that in Jenin months ago. We're seeing it today as well with soldiers abandoning their bases and running away 
and not protecting um, the settlements that they were supposed to protect. We're seeing it in many arenas in many different ways. And Israel's response is like always, is to fight by remote control, is to fight through air power, is to fight through um, cowardly moves that I think, you know, um, makes it a very uh, thirsty, bloodthirsty power, but one that is not willing to risk its own uh, soldiers and its own uh, its own military. So there's this shift in consciousness, but I think it's still slow. And as things move on, um, I don't know what's going to happen in the West Bank as well. I mean, things have history has opened up today. I mean, in the past couple of days, and I think we don't really know. Nobody really knows what 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 could go on in the West Bank. Um, Abdul Jawad. Um question for you about this the ground invasion and then maybe after you john you probably have thoughts on this too but what do you make of all this talk of a ground invasion into gaza by the israelis and there's and on the western media at the moment there's a lot of sort of live coverage of tanks being sent down to the to the south of um anti 48 palestine um and there's you know lots of talk about ground invasion and, and so on and so forth uh, but, you know, during the last major escalation um, against Gaza, we saw similar talk. You know, there was a lot of talk about ground invasion of Gaza um, and uh, that all came to nothing. Uh, that said, this is obviously an unprecedented situation. Um, but as, as you've both been saying, the battles inside 48 territories are still ongoing. So what do you make of this kind of talk? Um, um, uh, I think, look, th th there's a context to what happened also from a military perspective in terms of, you know, Israel's dialogue, if you want, military dialogue with the resistance groups. So what happened in 2021 was a diversion tactic that was meant to take Hamas's uh, fighters into the tunnels that Israel has figured out and then bomb these fighters while they're in the tunnels and it didn't work because Hamas caught on the trick and actually did not place its fighters within these tunnels. Um, but what's important about the last rounds, at least coming into this offensive, this Palestinian offensive that we saw, is that Israel's refusal to actually do a ground maneuver, to exchange prisoners with the four prisoners that Hamas already had captured, incentivized this process for the Palestinian resistance to find a new way to engage the Israelis. Uh, to figure out how they could reach and actually have close-to-close -close combat. So it's actually partially what happened today was the and was uh, you know was produced by Israel's refusal to engage in any military maneuver. Now it's one thing to do a military maneuver within the Gaza Strip. You can have a limited maneuver. You could have a deep maneuver. You could say, look, I want to go in and I want to destroy the entire resistance and its infrastructure um, and the long campaign. Um, so there's multiple multiple options for Israel for what it could do in terms of a ground maneuver. But they are all also um, tedious and risky in terms of, uh, you know, also finding out that its ground forces are not ready for such war especially for an army that has evaded such types of, of actions, at least for the past decade or so, at least since the 2006 Lebanon war, has tried to move away from military 
maneuvers deep within enemy territory um, for it to actually now decide on it without any concrete political objectives, without any concrete uh, policy objectives except to wreak havoc, also could lead to its own, to as a disaster in its own making. I mean, in, in military science, we always say war, you, you can start a war, but you don't know how it ends. You can go in, but you don't know what actually will transpire. Um, and, and it could only deepen Israel's crisis because also a grand maneuver could also incentivize other players in the region to enter this war and to make also um, this kind of maneuver more difficult as multiple fronts open up and we can see a more broad form of warfare happening in terms of rocket fire, firepower coming from Lebanon or Syria or other places. Uh, I'm not sure because I don't think also in terms of Hamas's alliances and Palestinian resistance alliances that they will be left alone uh, to withstand Israel power without them interfering at some point, whatever that point is. Um, it will be a critical point also in the in what transpires throughout the upcoming campaign that Israel is launching. But right now, what Israel is doing is basically an air power campaign that actually targets civilians, and not as a you know uh, collateral damage, but it's targeting and trying to horrify civilians through. Um, and also doing some tactical objectives by trying to open new spaces for tanks and other uh, military vehicles to open up. And that's why we're seeing this heavy uh, fire falling on Gaza. But it, it includes different nods, institutions like universities, um, you know, civil institutions. It's trying to destroy the entire uh, Gaza Strip infrastructure. Uh, exacting a heavy price, but also um, um, attempting, I think, at some point to open up the space in different ways for its ground maneuver within the Gaza Strip itself. Um, so that's what's happening, at least if we read it from far away. I'm not sure if that's what actually would transpire, but at least these are my narrow predictions. And John, you and John. obviously spent a lot of time in the West Bank as well, um, as well as Gaza. Can can you talk a little bit about um, what you're seeing in terms of uh, what Abdel Jawad said um, across the West Bank, but also kind of you know what what the strategic um, uh, formation might might look like in terms of uh, whether or not Israel enacts a ground invasion. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine a ground invasion at this point when they're still fighting inside their own territory. Like, do they mount the ground invasion and also have a back flank fight that's happening inside their territory? I mean, they're in a position that's um, that we've never been in before, and it's difficult to make predictions on it because things can change so fast. The posture of Hezbollah in the north doesn't make it seem like uh, they're going to sit this one out. And, uh, you know, some of it might be posturing, some of it might just be solidarity actions to make it seem like that's the case. But Hezbollah has significant capabilities to turn the conflict in a very, very short amount of time by participating just a little bit. Um, so if it does become a wider regional war, there, that does not benefit Israel. Um, a, a micro, you know, this talk, that they have to punish Hamas, like any time they switch their invasion talk to punishing Hamas in particular, you know that it's going to fail because there's no way to do that. It doesn't work that way. Hamas is 
the Palestinians that live in the Gaza Strip, and um, there, there's no way to eliminate that. Um, and just in terms of uh, like Israeli capability, I haven't seen that capability of a, an Israeli ground war um, now, you know, eight years after their first failed ground war where they went in and basically went, okay, no, we're not going to do this, and basically turned on their heels and left. Um, it's hard to see eight years later that the the defenders of Gaza aren't eight years more developed in their defense, while the conscripted army of the Israelis, who they talk about are school teachers uh, during the week or what have you, are going to be lining up in order to, um, you know, to go down into the tunnels and fight underneath the Gaza Strip in the, you know, underground metro system that's been created. It just is not, doesn't sound to me like a realistic option. And if it is their option, it sounds like an extremely deadly one, both for Palestinians, but for Israelis too. And on a level that the Israelis most likely can't tolerate as a country, I think at some point, how many days of rockets falling? If if Hezbollah decides to join even just the rocket war, how many days can Israelis live in bomb shelters um, of their own making where their own government said, we're going to do this, we're going to put you in these bomb shelters, and they're not winning, visibly not winning the conflict. It just it, it, It's really difficult to see on this third day when the most important element of the story today is that they still haven't been able to put down the incursion into their own state. That part, we don't know the numbers, but it's far less numbers of fighters than will meet them on the other side of the border should they invade Gaza. It just doesn't look from here like something that Israel can escalate very easily. They now have hundreds of their captives. Um, are they gonna carpet bomb Gaza with their captives? They're gonna kill their captives. Um, so there's so many different things that Israel has to now take into question that, you know, even 10 years ago, um, when everybody just assumed that they were the Goliath that could do whatever they wanted, um, things have really changed. They changed in 2006 for Hezbollah. And of course, we've all seen Hezbollah hasn't looked back that the ability to win that war is worth something that, um, that Israel maybe can never get back. Yeah. Um, and now they're tempting that in the Gaza Strip. It's it's hard to see that being successful from an Israeli point of view. And from a Palestinian point of view, of course, we hope it doesn't happen. Um, but if it does happen, I can see Israel walking into an ambush in the Gaza Strip. Ali, I know you have a question. Um, I just wanted to reintroduce our guests um, and pre-introduce Shahid Abu Salama. Um, John Elmer is a contributor. He's He's been a, a researcher. Um, for decades uh, working on Palestine. Uh, he's also my co-host over at the Brief podcast. Uh, Abdel Jawad is a, an academic lecturer at Birzeit University, uh, analyst and scholar. Um, and in one moment, we'll bring on Shahid Abu Salama, um, who is a, a good friend, longtime friend of uh, the Electronic Intifada, um, joining us from London. Uh, uh, so yeah, we'll get to Shahid in, in one minute, Ali. Um, Go ahead. Oh, you're muted. Hmm? Thank you, Abdujawad and John. Your analysis is really uh, helpful. I guess the, the thing I'm thinking about 
or wondering about, and I suspect a lot of people are, is, of course, we've all grown up with this uh, idea of Israel of, as this immense and capable military power. Um, but we have seen a number of, of notable failures in recent years. Of course, going back to the two, well, to the year 2000, when the Lebanese resistance expelled the Israeli occupation from southern Lebanon, and then in 2006, when the Israelis, not just the Israelis, but the Americans and the Europeans, they thought that Israel's invasion of Lebanon in 2006 was going to finish off Hezbollah. And there was almost a, a pre-celebration among some of the uh, Arab dictatorships, among uh, uh, the uh, Europeans and the Americans. You'll recall that Condoleezza Rice, the American Secretary of State at the time, called the Israeli uh, war on Lebanon the birth pangs of a new Middle East. It didn't turn out that way. The Israelis were humiliated. They ran. They ran away. They, they talked about their tanks being destroyed one after the other in, in the valleys of South Lebanon. Um, and we've seen other such uh, failures uh, in recent years, and after every single one, uh, the Israel—you know—there's this soul searching among the Israeli military and political establishment, and they say we have to learn for the, from the failures. We have to improve our tactics. We have to improve our training. We have to change our thinking. And you know, yes, we're going to do that, and we're going to spend all the money and do what we need to do. And yet, here we are again. Uh, why is it so difficult? for Israel, with all its resources and its seemingly unlimited backing from the United States, to beat uh, Hamas that is besieged in Gaza with probably a millionth of the resources available to Israel. There seems to be something more fundamental that, that has gone wrong for Israel. I'd just love to get your thoughts on, on what that might be. Um. Well, uh, Ali, your, your, your question is very, very good, but it's also very complicated um, because these, this is, it goes to sociology of things. It, it, it ties to technology. One of, one of the elements of why Israel is not willing to fight close battles and why it's losing this will to fight uh, in combat and why it's not tolerant for any casualties is this kind of social ideology that exists in, within the state that they can live uh, with zero risk, uh, um, take people's land and live with zero risk, and that technology can protect them, that a defensive uh, layer, um, you know, with walls and uh, with creation of new defensive techniques can actually enable them to still be on top of things while still not going and sacrificing um, their young sons and daughters in war and battle like they've done to actually create the state. So in many ways, I think there is that technological element. There's the structure of the family, if you want, um, less, uh, you know, less children, which means less willingness to sacrifice. There's a lot of historical elements that go to why Israel is incapable of fighting wars like they did. And I think because they're also meeting an enemy that is not anymore afraid to test its own tactical 
uh, and technological ingenuity. In, in a sense, what we see with Hezbollah and Hamas and others are people who take war seriously. They take the, the, the science of tactics seriously. They take whatever resources they have and they turn it into uh, political action that opens the horizon of the politically possible seriously. So I think for the first time, they're also meeting a foe that using whatever capacity, even if it's narrow, if it's uh, simple, to create this horizon of what is politically possible. So they're meeting a foe that also learns, that also understands Israel, it understands its society, it understands what it's willing to do, it understands the composition of its government, its military and intelligence class. It in understands also its strong points because it has still, the state has a lot of strong points, but also it understands its weak points. And it, it could actually create things like what we've seen in the past couple of days, an offensive maneuver that catches the state by surprise and its military echelon and, and everybody else. So there's a lot of historical reasons for why Israel is failing in the ground warfare, why it's leaving that ground warfare. It's social, it's ideological, it's, it has to do with the fissures in society, the structure of the family, with technology and the over-reliance on technology. And this hope that with whatever technical tools they have, including AI and cyber, etc., they can conduct war from the safety of a Tel Aviv high-rise or wherever they are and and i think this is just an impossible equation if if uh, for them and i think that's why they're also while they're caught off-handed while they're in this you know um area where there's a lot of psycho-effective i think also discourse coming from their leaders in a way yani that shows anger that shows um being shaken yesterday the 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 head of the military the general the chief of staff of Israel was speaking to try to give confidence to society, but he seemed really weak, shaken. Uh, he didn't look okay at all. Um, his speech was very weak. Um, and, and you can see that they're making now decisions under duress and, and within, um, with total shock. And I think there, there will be a lot of miscalculations going into this from their side on what is possible for them to retaliate. Because in many of the campaigns, this is a very concentrated campaign from the Pal Palestinian perspective. And you already have the biggest event in the first two days uh, coming in. And the more they want to push this, the more they want to uh, go after Gaza and the resistance there, the more it opens up the space for a war that Israel certainly does not want. Yeah, I think there's also just a professionalization of the Palestinian forces that we have to put our finger on as well that began back in the, you know, in the, the mid aughts. Um, Ahmed Jabari um, set about making an army and instead of having a guerrilla factions um, to make a professionalized army, they shared information with the Mad Mugnia of Hezbollah and it was a concentrated program um, to train the fighters in a professionalized army. Um, they recruit better, um, they recruit younger, um, they have an eye on, um, on building a fighting force the way that Hezbollah did in Lebanon by accessing like youth movements um, and, and having people come out um, as professional fighters right from the beginning and to join the army. Um, and that kind of um, 
professionalization is what we've seen really uh, on display. And each year it gets better. In 2008, we saw the rockets were going further, right? In 2014, we saw that they could repel a ground invasion by moving through tunnels in their own territory um, that had been pre-built to ambush fighters, um, Israeli fighters. Um, the professionalization on display over these last three days basically ghosts coming in and out through the tunnels. The Israelis have no idea where they're even fighting. They can't tell you how many places they're fighting at, um, but you have a professionalized force that's holding down, resupplying, refreshing its fighters. Um, that quality of soldier, I mean, even just something as simple as looking on Twitter at the sort of military nerd community that talks about these kind of things. And they watch the helmet cam footage of the Qassam fighters. Um, and they're internationally recognized as competent fighters, as excellent fighters. And, and that's on display. And I think to, to that degree, th there was a process within the Palestinian national movement to create a professionalized army. Um, and they've done that rather than fighting under one banner or another or one faction or another, um, but to create uh, a unified command. Of course, um, Qassam and Sarayel Quds are the leaders of that, but um, the other factions have ways to participate as well. But the, the professionalization and quality of the Palestinian fighter is what's um, setting the tone in these last um, number of conflicts. And professionalization of their intelligence operation too, clearly. You know, yeah, the fact that they, they were able to defeat um, supposedly the most, you know, awesome intelligence operation uh, in the Middle East, Israel. Um, that myth of the invincible Mossad and Shin Bet has just been busted forever. And the fact that yeah. um, Hamas and the other factions were able to defeat that in one day. Although obviously, as Abdul Jawad said earlier, this was clearly months, if not years, yeah. in the plan. The yeah. fact that they were able to defeat that just sh shows how uh, how professional that counterintelligence operation is. I wanted to bring in uh, our friend Shahid Abu Salama. Um, she is uh, in London and um, has family in Gaza. Um, Shahid, uh, hi. How? Thank you so much for being here. Um, how is your family? What are you hearing um, from your loved ones in Gaza right now? Hi, all. Um, my family, like all survivors in Gaza, are literally waiting for their destiny. My parents are, they tell us to take care of uh, ourselves and force ourselves to eat and sleep and rest. So we managed to tell their stories in case they are gone and this is this is the situation that is uh, facing every palestinian in gaza there is uh, no discrimination between homes hospitals mosques um the, the stones trees there is no no discrimination at all everyone is is a target and there is no place that is safe. Um, right now, I'm, uh, I only have one chick on my messages to them. And, and every time 
like this happens like uh, we were struggling with the with the darkest thoughts um and the telecommunications are are bombed the the internet and electricity infrastructures are bombed and uh, people feel isolated and and they feel uh, like they are already in the middle of a genocide being played out on in real life time and on life tv screens and and somehow the world is giving is continuing to give a green light to all these massacres. Um, I am, you know, I'm uh, from uh, Jabalia refugee camp, and uh, and my 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 birthplace, my my people, my family, are amongst those who who have lived through the massacre this morning that has been uh, committed against uh, Jabalia refugee camp. My auntie and her uh, children, they woke up under the rubble of their own homes. They, they, they woke up under the rubble. The house was uh, disfigured. The, their account is horrific. They don't know how they made it out. They, they jumped over a, a broken wall in order to make it out with the children shaking and and they they called it the judgment day people are are literally seeing death they're experiencing death and the smell of death is everywhere there's some like horrible unbearable smell that people are are like noticing everywhere where even in our home in our home my parents my my brother my my nieces are 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 uh, breathing the smoke and something that is like they, they're worried that it's poisonous and right now i have you to be honest i have you in in, in like half of my screen and the next screen is on life uh tv in gaza i'm i'm, I'm following uh, arabic uh news palestinian uh, palestinians on the ground uh, keeping us updated and, and, and it's just non-stop bombing. And when I get hold of my family uh, on the phone, I hear the bombing in, in the back and they keep just jumping. What they, they're, they're, everyone's scared for their lives. Most of my family is displaced. Last night I couldn't sleep because my mom, my mom sent me a message saying, uh shahd we are in the street the the house uh, our neighbors opposite our house have been threatened by bombing and all of my neighbors have evacuated uh, the house as a result and my family didn't sleep last night at home and we were host of other families that escaped heavy bombing and as we speak right now there are more massacres there are, there are more mass devastations and uh, Israeli tanks are uh, um, being prepared to advance into the Gaza Strip. It's, it's horrific to see this happening yet again. I was with you, I was reporting from Gaza from under fire in, in 2011 and uh, 
and even since before then and and these horrific nightmares that we live in real life um are just causing us more pain more shock at how the world is is allowing this to happen and israeli officials we've heard them everybody heard them everybody heard them threatening of wiping out gaza turning gaza into an isolated island and making an a call absurd full of absurd leave now leave where leave where while gaza is besieged from land sea and air and bombed from land sea and air is it a joke it's a genocide that is happening taking place right now that people are being slaughtered and and the the us instead of finally recognizing that that it's it's uh, billions of of money that are being that are sh that they're showering israel with every year and more so at times of at times like this they're, instead of recognizing the occupation, the, the apartheid, the, 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 human, the systematic domination of the Palestinian people as the root causes behind the, the people uh, fighting back, they're, they're fueling violence against the Palestinian people. They're giving Israel the green light to do whatever they like. I'm, I'm horrified to be honest i'm shaking i'm shaking and i'm i'm just hoping praying that i won't receive the news of of uh, my beloved ones and they're so close they're so close to to death shahad we uh earlier we spoke with our friend and colleague rifhat al-arir in uh, gaza at the beginning of this uh, live stream and we we heard the bombing the non-stop bombing as he was speaking and uh we also heard the uh worry in his voice and that's something that uh, we've heard from so many people in gaza and i can only imagine what it's like for your parents but also for you and for your sister and your brother who are far away from them now and the difficulty of uh of, of bearing the worry about them and all your loved ones and, and your auntie, and thank God that they were, were saved uh, today. Um, I wonder, and you know, it, it, it's amazing to me, Shad, that you have been writing for so long about all these things. Um, and uh, we actually met uh, for the first time in Gaza 10 years ago. 10 years ago we met in 2013, before the 2014 war. Uh, and uh, it seems like such a long time for people of your generation and your age to live with the siege, with the nightmare, with the constant uh, bombing, and yet we heard from Rifat and we've heard from others about how Palestinians in Gaza, despite the fear, the fear is human. I mean, no, no one who is human could face this horror without fear. 
but at the same time they remain determined and defiant what do you think explains that where, where does that come from are the people in gaza um a di different kind of people do they have a different kind of strength or is is there something that over time makes people willing to 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 show that dignity that defiance in the face of something against which they're largely powerless yeah uh, the and i think um the people are just desperate to see um a real change to uh the nightmarish reality uh that they are trapped under um the Palestinians have endured uninterrupted violence since uh, 1948, and Gaza have uh, seen a drastic uh, form of this uh, violence ever since. Actually, the term, um, Ga uh, the, the description of Gaza as an open-air prison was used by refugees since 1948. And my grandparents uh, could see our lands from some parts of land, uh, some parts of uh, of, of uh, the north of Gaza. Uh, it's uh, very close. It's very close, and yet it's it's so far from uh, from being reached. My grandparents they come from uh, lands. Uh, that uh, that uh, just it's it's incredible. We live in, in incredible uh, times. When when the seventh of November of October, uh, when we woke up that day, like we couldn't believe that uh, Palestinian uh, resistance have made it uh, across the fence. And uh, and they are in in basically where where I come from, where my grandparents come from. So if if my grandparents lived to see this day, they they probably wouldn't have believed it. It was such a symbolic moment. Um, and uh, the people have have had enough with uh, with the dehumanization. And with uh, with their humanity being uh, denied, basic needs being denied, um, the rights to freedom, justice, and equality being denied, um, and uh, they have tried every every possible way to uh, to resist. It is from Jabalia refugee camp that the first intifada erupted, and it was uh, a a civilian form of resistance that was brutally repressed. And then uh, the, the first intifada was, uh, the fire was put uh, off by uh, the Oslo peace accords that promised um, more stability for Palestinians and, uh, and, and more uh, uh, autonomy and and illusions basically when when israel 
only intensified violence against the Palestinians and, and uh, consolidated the chokehold over Gaza, advanced its uh, settler uh, expansion at a faster pace than ever. And all these are war crimes that the world is observing. And the piles of evidence is just uh, remarkable. But there is not enough will to, to save the people. And, and, and the people realize that it's, it's up to them to free themselves of Israel's domination that is uh, maintained with uh, Western support. The West is partnered in this. And the media mouthpieces are also partners in this. And they are fueling anti-Palestinian uh, racism and, uh, and Islamophobia. They are fueling this. And they're, they're creating an apartheid that, that extends out of Palestine to the UK. We should take a note of, of uh, what Suella Braverman uh, said. And she is the, uh, she's a UK government official. Yeah, a state, a state of secretary. Mm. And, and, and she has, has basically replicated Israel's apartheid in the UK, offering uh, preferred treatments to, uh, to Jewish citizens over anyone else. That and speaks to the, if I, just to, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but it, it speaks also to the difficulty, perhaps the, the difficulty that, uh, or the, the increasing obstacles that governments are placing Western governments, the ones who are the so-called champions of democracy and free speech, for us as Palestinians or people in the solidarity movement to even advocate for Palestinian rights or to speak about Israel's crimes. It's, and as you, as you yourself uh, have experienced, uh, Shad, you are, for our, for our listeners who don't know, you are an academic and you are a lecturer who was basically hounded out of your university because you dared to speak up for Palestinian rights and to speak up not just as a uh, an academic and an intellectual and a writer, but as someone who can speak from direct personal experience. And even that you weren't allowed to do. You weren't allowed to speak about your own life and experience of the kinds of horrors that we're, we're witnessing now. So it does seem that the intent is to place Palestinians under siege, not just in Gaza, not just in the West Bank, but even throughout the world. And uh, uh, even in New York, there was news that the, the mayor of New York announced that the police were going to be monitoring uh, a rally in support of Palestinian rights. And uh, John, I'd love to hear uh, if, if you can say something also about the the free speech, so-called free speech situation in Canada with respect to, to the uh, need now for people to raise their voices even louder, given how Canada, just like the rest of the so-called Western democracies, are cheerleading for the massacres that we see in Gaza. 
like the one that happened this morning in Jabalia. Yeah, Canada has been uh, a firm ally of Israel's um, um, through and through, right from the beginning. Um, getting a Canadian politician to speak out in defense of Palestinians is something that we don't really ever, uh, ever see. And I think that, um, yeah, the the political... I mean, the political environment in Canada, which you guys have probably heard about, is that we're at the stage where we're uh, giving standing ovations in our parliament to um, Waffen SS fighters from World War II. So the um, the politics in Canada are a little frazzled at the moment, for sure. But they are also like like the the police leadership in all the major Canadian cities across the country uh, this past weekend was saying that they were going to heavily surveil any protests about um, you know in solidarity with Palestine um, and and yeah and this is happening in the UK this is happening in in yeah. you know, California where I am yeah. So Ella Braverman has authorized police to use full force if if uh, if there is any expression of quote unquote anti-Semitism, and we know what they are trying to do with uh, making anti-Semitism uh, a synonym with anti-Zionism. So every one of us in the UK is is under threat. If they if they uh, express support with Palestine and our aspirations for freedom, justice, and equality, apparently these rights that are guaranteed to uh, to every people are uh, are denied to the Palestinians. And if they call for it, we are anti Semitic. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen a lot of incitement anti-Palestinian incitement from British government officials in recent days. Um, there's been lots of talk in the UK um, from the British government that, you know, since this particular battle started of um, that they're going to, you know, they're threatening to take action and arrest people who express solidarity with Palestinians in London, you know, and there was, I saw a, British minister being interviewed earlier today and he was talking about the that he was saying well there is there is a right to free speech but I would encourage people not to exercise it basically was what he was saying in essentials Incredible. and this morning we've seen a false story in the in the headlines of several British papers um, about supposedly a kosher restaurant being attacked um, in Golders Green, a, a, an area with a relatively large Jewish population. Um, but it turns out this was, and also they were saying that this was due to uh, a nearby graffiti that said Free Palestine. Well, it turns out um, the police later clarified that this was this restaurant, an Israeli restaurant, had its front door had been smashed because there was a burglary and it was nothing to do with the Free Palestine graffiti. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, that didn't stop the mayor of London himself saying that this was, quote unquote, hate. So he was and that the full force of the law would be used against the people who did it. You know, so we're just we're seeing a lot of yeah. false stories and incitement in the in the West uh, about this. 
um, and it uh, speaks to the increased weaponization of anti-Semitism, especially in Britain. Well, we're going to wrap up in a couple of minutes. Um, Shahid, I, I, I want to uh, just ask you, like, how, you know, how, how are you doing? Um, how are you looking at this? And um, uh, yeah, and, and, and last thoughts for this broadcast at this time. How does it feel to be a Palestinian living in the diaspora yeah. and looking at your family happen. in Gaza? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to process all this. And, uh, and I'm honestly fighting my darkest thoughts. Um, I'm horrified from uh, various uh, angles, uh, watching what my family and my people are going through and uh, the collective punishment that is uh, crossing every red line. And at the same time, the justifications that are parroted by world leaders and uh, the uh, military aid packages that are given to Israel and the, the media, uh, how, how they're equating between an occupied and an occupier that is backed by uh, world uh, imperial powers, uh, one of the strongest militaries in the world that is capable of, of uh, in seconds, turning high-rise buildings into a pile of rubble. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked and, and I'm, I'm, I'm following with uh, great fear, great fear. And, and I'm, I, 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 can't, I can't cope with the idea of, of uh, losing my family. Um, and, uh, and I know that my family are, are uh, not, uh, um, you know, they're facing the same collective uh, suffering at the minute. They are not immune from uh, Israel's... Uh, uh, terror. No one is. Um, and, and the world uh, shouldn't look away. And, um, and they, they should finally uh, recognize the root causes of uh, this violence that we have endured for 75 years. Even a even hundred years more than 100 years, if we count the, the British colonization of Palestine that have led to this uh, uninterrupted uh, suffering, structural violence. And right now, the bombing hasn't stopped. Uh, on, on the other half of my screen, the, the, the sky is being light, lit up and places uh, the, the flames are rising and filling the skies of, of Gaza. And the, the, the level of dehumanization is, is uh, unprecedented. So some international action needs to take place and intervene immediately on, on behalf of the defenseless population there. All these targets that, that are hit, they're, they're, they're human, they're, they're people residential homes, uh, civilian uh, properties. And, and there has to be an intervention on, on behalf of the Palestinians that are being slaughtered. 
Shahada Bosamlama, you're a academic, a writer, contributor to the Electronic Intifada, a friend, a comrade. Um, thank thank you, so you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, I think that's going to do it for this broadcast. Uh, Ali, do you have any last words? Just to say we send you and your family a lot of love, Shahid. We are, uh, we all feel powerless to an extent, but I think for me, who doesn't have to experience a fraction of the fear and terror that you're going through, uh, or that Rifat and everyone else in Gaza is going through, but for me, what makes the days bearable as we witness this is the love and solidarity from the people around me and from uh, all our friends and all our supporters. And so we send you that love and solidarity and we thank you for um, being here with us. And I, I just want to say uh, thank you to everyone and to all our supporters of the Electronic Intifada who help us to try to enlighten the world a little bit about uh, about what is happening. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. And thank you for joining us on this first live stream the first and definitely not the last and thanks to the podcast team for putting it together and making it happen without so yeah. far a glitch that's yeah. absolutely amazing yeah. incredible well done. yeah thank you so much everybody yeah. thank you and thank you thank you Shet. and also we should say uh myself and ace and nora from the elect from the ei team are here and john who's almost a member of the ei team in the sense that he is a great friend of the show but Behind the scenes, we have Tamara Nassar, who has been doing a fantastic job yeah. of, of managing the live stream. So thank you, Tamara, as well. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, John. Thanks, Shahid. Um, thanks, Asa. Thanks, Ali. And uh, keep tuned to electronicintifada.net on Twitter at Intifada, uh, on Instagram at electronicintifada. And um, we will we will keep doing what we do best, which is to, um, you know, to, to bring breaking stories and news and analysis. And we'll have another live stream very soon. Yeah. And sign up to our email list at electronicintifada.net is the best way to keep in touch with all of our daily updates uh, yeah. within these days of fractured internet platforms. Yeah. Um, we still have the tried and trusted method of email. So, please sign up to that um, as well as and following us on all the platforms and liking and subscribing. Yeah. And so people, just to be clear, if you just go to our website, electronicintifada.net at the top left of the uh, homepage, there is a place where you can sign up for the email list and stay in touch with us. Even if Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is goes under, you'll still stay in touch with us. And donate to our work as well. Yes please. <laughs> we can't do this without you. Thank you, everybody. Until, until soon. Thanks, guys. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.